But it's really good to be here. I met um, Amy and Arthur and Edith at church a few, few Sundays ago. And uh, real pleasure to have met them and met a few people, Rosemary and Debs and a few of the others. It's really good to be here. And I'm going to be... I'm going to be short, I'm not going to be too long before you. Um, normally I preach over an hour at church sometimes. Today I'm going to be very good. <laughs> but in Romans chapter 13, um, quite an interesting uh, passage that we have before us. It starts off by saying, let no debt remain outstanding. Now, it's a very interesting topic because um, I think debt is one of the things that we always talk about. I have a student loan that needs to be paid, and um, there's always some debt that has to be paid. But Scripture tells us, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And as I look at the passage before us, um, it makes me realize that we can't love too much. And I think before I go on further, I just want to say well done to Phil and Sonia for taking that huge step of becoming members. I know what it was to become a member all those years ago when I was 14 years old in a Pentecostal church in Jamaica. Um, but well done to you guys. And we need men who... Um, come to the church and make a stand. So great on you, Phil. Wonderful step. But we can't love too much. Um, as we look at the text, it's saying that there should always be this debt of love. So the debt of love, it's never paid off. But we must never, we must never default on our responsibility to love. There's always this responsibility to always love. As soon as we've loved, there's still more love that needs to be shown. Um, sometimes the debt goes unpaid. Sometimes because we refuse to pay it. Sometimes the debt is unpaid because we don't have the means to pay it. And what am I really saying? Because God has called us as the church and has, as his people to always show love. And it doesn't matter how much we love, there's always someone new that we have to show love to. And just as soon as we think that we've loved as much as we can love, here comes someone else in need of love. Now, as soon as I came through the doors, I, I could see that this is a loving church. And I'm, I'm certain that you show love all the time. And just when we think that we've perfected love, here comes someone else. And that person presents a new challenge. Someone quite different to us. Someone with new needs. And all of a sudden we realize that we need to find new depths of love. Because here comes someone else with that need. And we have to find it within ourselves to love again. And, you know, as, as parents, I don't know how many of you are parents, but we always find it within ourselves 
to love our children. Sometimes they're not as lovable as we would want them to be. Sometimes they let us down. But we find it within ourselves to still love our children. Um, the secret to loving others is first to experience the love of God. As much as we think we're wonderful and we're good, it's that agape love, that, that love that's unconditional. And how do we get this love? John 14 says, if we keep his commandments, that's how, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And you know, let's face it, there are some, there's some neighbors who are easy to love, and then there are some neighbors that are not so easy to love. And um, I've lived in different places, and I've had some wonderful neighbors, thank God, and um, I've had new neighbors move in recently, and lovely couple just moved in, and I'm always kind of going over and saying, hi, I'm Cleon, my wife Sonia, good to have you in the neighborhood. But I've had neighbors in the past that have scared me. I've had neighbors who I looked at the back garden, and their 11-year-old had this picture of this man drawn on some wood and he was using a flick knife to do target practice and i said oh my god help us but we still have to find that capacity to love neighbors the good ones the not so good ones um and i'll, I'll tell you a quick story we our, our church we um we did hire out our, our building to a, a project that used to feed the homeless and things happened. I shared a story with Rich in our class. Some things happened and they had to close the service down. And um, what happened was that the guys who used to come to use the service, guys and girls who used to use the service, homeless project, they um, broke into our church and they cleaned us out. And when I say cleaned us out, they took everything. They took the projectors, they took the keyboards, they took the guitars, they took everything. And um, how we knew was that they left the cigarette butts and beers and stuff, and they did fingerprints and did all the DNA stuff, whatever they do, and they found out who it was. Um, and we were devastated because um, we were now left with absolutely nothing. They even took the seasoning in the kitchen uh, so we couldn't even cook any meals. But I, I remember after we had managed to get some of the stuff back and, and I was preparing just before Christmas and, and um, in the middle of sermon preparation the Lord said to me, I want you this Christmas um, to throw a banquet and invite all of the homeless folks in your area to come. And I said, you're crazy. <laughs> and, um, and I kind of did a bit more sermon preparation. I said, let me find another text. It might just help. And um, the Lord said the same thing to me again. And um, the next challenge was to, to share it with the folks in our church. Because I'm sure that they, they, they weren't going to have this. Because everyone was really upset that their wonderful church had been desecrated. And um, so I was preaching one Sunday and it was a really hot sermon and I was probably 45 minutes into the sermon, halfway through. And um, just at that point, I slipped in 
and oh God wants us to have a homeless meal this Christmas and the whole place went quiet there were no more amens and then I started to explain to them why the Lord said this to me he said to me if you open your doors they won't need to break in and, I, and the folks they agreed that was about four years ago and it's gone from being Christmas meals to Easter meals and now we do it every month sometimes 20 sometimes 30 people from our community come in you mentioned refugees we've got a lot of Eastern European people a lot of English people a lot of Caribbean people who come in not necessarily homeless but just looking for a good meal but we, we had to find it in ourselves there was, a new, there was a new debt of love that we needed to pay. We didn't do anything wrong, but we needed to... God had to give us something new. Because here was a new challenge to love a group of people who we knew had actually broken in and taken all our stuff. But um, today we have no regrets. Because people, is the wonderful thing is to have someone who was homeless come in, sit down with you and say, well, sometimes they call you father, sometimes they call you bishop, whatever they call you, and to say, you know what, you won't see me next month, I've got my own flat now. And that's just wonderful, and it, it didn't matter the fact that they broke in and took stuff, they managed to get their lives back on track, and, and love has an amazing ability to, to somehow correct even the, the wrong that has been done to us. And so it says, let no debt remain outstanding. The thing about it, as love is, that debt is paid, even though it, in other words, what it's saying is that whenever the debt is due, make sure it's paid. There is always going, and we all have bills, and we know what happens if we don't pay them on time. We'll get one of those letters and it's got red through it. I've had a few in my time. Please forgive me, even though I'm a minister. But, you know, it's nothing, it's just really good feeling when you've got all those debts paid. But they keep coming, and they keep coming. And the Holy Spirit gives us that ability to always pay those debts and to pay them on time. And so, um, Love, the love that God requires us to have, it doesn't see anyone's past criminal record, it doesn't see ethnicity, it doesn't see class, it doesn't see denomination. So Rich and I, I'm the Pentecostal, raving Pentecostal, and he's the Baptist, cool guy, and we're the best of friends. Well, so he tells me. Um, but he's and, and I've got a complaint because he's come to church and since he's come everyone's raving and where's, so when's Rich coming back? I said he's not coming back <laughs> but he's, he's, he's a wonderful guy but you see the love that we have it, it sees past denomination it sees past all these things and it just love just loves love that's what it does it just loves and, and God calls us to receive others unconditionally um, there's no terms, there's no prenups, there's nothing. It's just, we just love. And Paul, in the verses that follow, 
he follows, he, he sums up the commandments that he, he gives, and because of time, I'm just going to rush through. He, he, he sums up all those things about adultery and, and murder and all these, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, we could go through, we could list all of those commandments, and, and, but, but he says, just love your neighbor. Because if we love our neighbors, then we won't steal from them. And if we love our neighbors, we, we won't seek to do harm. And he's, it sounds simplistic, but that's, that's, what, that's the problem that we have in our society. We find it hard to love. And Paul says, if you can get, if you can get to loving your neighbor, you solve half the problem. And in, 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 in using love to sum up these commandments, he's saying that love should not be legalistic. Love should be free-flowing. And see, I, I've always said, made this thing, I, I don't even know who came up with the phrase, but it's a wonderful phrase. It says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And um, I, I, Rich, Rich is a much brighter fellow than I am. He's getting wonderful grades, you know, and we, we all come and sit at the feet of Rich. Rich, please explain to us how does it go. Yeah. Um, we, we've got this wonderful, um, this group on, on Facebook, and so... If, if you don't know what to do, just, just email Rich, he'll know, he'll figure it out. Um, but it really doesn't matter how much Rich knows. It, it's, not, it's not about how intellectual we are, how theologically astute we are. We come to people and we've got all these wonderful phrases, but people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. So, so Phil and Sonia, the reason why they're the members is because somewhere along the line, Regardless of how well you've preached, they kind of got it that these people actually care. And that's the secret. That's the key thing. And I think you've got it cracked at usually. People sense that you know a lot, but you also care a lot. And that's important for the body of Christ. Now, I've only been here a few hours, but... I've sensed it already. I've come through the doors, the handshakes, the hellos, the cup of tea that's waiting for me afterwards. Loving my neighbor comes with practice. And um, unfortunately, it's not, it's not just a one-off event. If, if we're not, if it's not one of those things that we can tick off, oh, I love this week. And, 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 and now I, I have love. No, it's, it takes practice. Love takes practice. And, and so the more I engage in love or in loving my neighbor, the better I become at it. It's, it's, it's something I've got to practice it. I've got to actually practice. I had to practice loving my wife because after the initial emotional highs went and you know, she said something to upset me. I had to practice even harder. <laughs> oh, she's easy to love. Trust me. She's a wonderful, wonderful girl. But we practice. The more we practice love as a church, you know, the more practice we get is the, be is the better we become at it. Has anyone, is it just me? But the more I actually practice love is the better I become at it. And so it's Ephesians Chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, I'm not going to read it, but it speaks of knowing the love of God 
that goes beyond understanding. So, is this my water, Rich? You haven't been drinking my water, have you? Sure. Wouldn't drink it. Okay. <laughs> mm. Good. It speaks about knowing the love of God. It's, so, it's, it's the kind of love that you have to experience. And we, we can talk about love until the cows come home. We will never truly understand love until we've practiced it. And, and it's, it's not just about the theory of love, it's the practice. And we, we've learned in college about orthopraxy. Right practice. Oh dear, all these wonderful terms. We'll never use it anyway. But as we, as we know love, we show love. And as we show love, we know love. I'm going to say it again. As we come to know love, we show love. And as we show love, we know love. And, and, it's, it's, and, and the more we've expressed it, is the more new revelations of love come. I, it's, it's almost as if some spiritual enzymes get released in me and it, I experience new highs of love, shall I say, new depths of love. And that just comes because I'm beginning to show it. It's experiential. And you know, the more I experience the love that's in this fellowship, is the more I'm inclined to go and show it to someone else. It's, it's infectious. And there's this, there's this song I used to sing, it, said, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, spread his love to everyone you want to pass it on. And that's how God's love is. Once you've experienced it, you just can't keep it to yourself. You just and then, and you start to get on everyone's nerves because you just want to hug someone. Oh, give me a cup, reach in. Because there's this, there's loves on the inside, and I can't keep it. I, I just can't keep it because love is so infectious. And the more I practice this love, is the more I experience new depths or heights of his love. And so you'd be surprised who you could love if you practice love. I, I, I've, I've been able to love in ways that I've never known possible just because I practice love. And like the fact that we've really had lots of practice within these four walls, like Elvis, the church must now leave the building and begin to practice on those who are outside of these four walls. And that's kind of the challenge now. We've had lots of practice with the lovely Rich and Amy and Debs and Rosemary and everyone else. And now there is a wider audience 
just kind of waiting. And, and was it Sonia who gave that cup of tea to someone whose car had been, had been written off outside? And, and it was a bit of a risk to go out and do it, but she did it. And it made such an impact. So we, and now we realize that work, and love doesn't just work in, am I, am I shouting too much? Am I getting too excited? Am I, I'm, it's the Pentecostal in me coming out. Are you hoping for a hallelujah? I, oh yes, yes. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I, it, it's, it's, it's waiting. Love is now waiting to get outside of these four walls and begin to experiment on the outside. And who knows? What kinds of response we're going to get when we begin to practice love outside of these walls. I'm excited. I was a bit nervous coming here today. You know, it's my first time preaching in the Baptist church. My first time in Usley. <laughs> but I didn't have anything to worry about. Because I'm amongst God's people. And there is this commonality about God's love. It's the same love. It has different shades and different variations, but it's the same love. And I'm so pleased that, that, that whenever we begin to venture outside of our comfort zone, love still works. Someone say amen. 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 If you say amen, I'll finish now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but I, I just want to close with this because the text goes on to verse 11 and 14 and it suddenly changes and it cuts to a whole new thought. And, you know, Paul, he addresses the time and he's saying it's time to, it's time for us to it's time for us to wake up and begin to oh, smell the coffee. Because he says, there is darkness around us. And as much as we love our neighbors and the, the wonderful people, but there is this darkness that exists. And we might not be able to change the darkness, but we can put on light. We can be that light. And that's the responsibility that we have. That's the reason why our love needs to go beyond these four walls. Because there is a dark world that needs some light. And he says, put on Christ. But the thought that came to me is that what happens when Christ doesn't fit? Well, I was going to bring one of my jackets I used to wear when I was younger. You know, when I was a size, whatever. Anyway, this country needs people with guts, so there you go. <laughs> Um, there was a time, <laughs> I'm sorry, I regress, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but what happens when Christ doesn't fit anymore? Because we've become sometimes a church that is either unfit or overweight and, and Christ doesn't fit anymore or we are a church that's malnourished and, 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 and so we, we must now become the church that is not afraid to put on Christ. We must not just be the church that wants to look good, but be good. Because Christ isn't so fashionable anymore. Let's face it. The moment we say we're a Christian and everyone starts to come out with a negativity. It doesn't matter how much the church has done. It doesn't matter how much 
we've handed out cups of coffee and opened our doors, we're still viewed in a negative way, but we still have to put on Christ. We still have to wear that label, Christ. And, and I, 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 for one, I'm not going to be ashamed of being a Christian. I'm going to wear that label. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that I am a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone's got to do it. But Paul is saying, let's put on Christ. The reason why we're doing it, it's because there is a real battle that we're fighting. And this is the bit where it gets a bit scary. Because sometimes we are under this false notion that everything's okay. Can I read something that D.M. Lloyd Jones wrote? And I'm going to close with that. In his book, The Christian Warfare, wrote a chapter on the subtle foe. And he argues that armor is as much about defense as it is offense. He relates the story of what happened when war broke out in September 1939. Um, some of you may have been around that time. But for the first few weeks, nothing seemed to be happening. Some called it the phony war stage. Superficial optimists were saying nothing is going to happen. Even Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain said in the House of Commons, Hitler has missed the bus. However, Major General Sir Ernest Swinton, a war commentator, week after week would warn the nation, we are fighting for our lives. No guns were yet fired, no bombs dropped, but his warning kept coming. Make no mistake about it. We are fighting for our lives. Come May 1940, Hitler released all of hell upon Europe. Ladies and gentlemen, we are fighting for our lives. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it because the enemy is a subtle foe. Bit by bit, Christian virtues are being eroded. Our children are not able to say prayers in schools. And before long, we'll be shut out of our very own churches. Ladies and gentlemen, we must put on Christ. We must not be ashamed to be identified with the captain of the Lord of hosts. We are fighting for our lives. But coming back to the text, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It has been an amazing privilege to come and to share with you for these few minutes. Um, I apologize for going up to the 12 o'clock hour, but blame it on Rich. But would you just stand with me as we just close in prayer?